You're listening to episode 37 of Weight Coach with Joanne Philomena from Joanne the Life Coach, the host and producer of this podcast, as well as Widowcast and This Is Us podcast, and the best selling author of Widowed. This is permanent weight loss through overcoming the urge to overeat. Once that urge is gone, you will quite naturally feed yourself exactly what your body needs and your body will return to its best weight. Hey, hello everyone. This is kind of a special episode that I'm jumping in during this season break for Weight Coach and doing because... My mentor and coach who certified me as a life coach and weight loss coach has paid me the amazing honor of including a segment by me at the end of one of her podcast episodes. I was thrilled to share my take on focus, willpower, and desire with her audience. So at the end of this, I'm including a replay of that segment. It'll be in the second half of today's podcast. It's a good one. It demonstrates how those three things come together to make or break your weight loss efforts. For this special episode during our season break here, I want to include a bit of insight into habit. Habit is something I started thinking about in relation to my clients who experienced failed attempts to eat well at the same time every day, whether it's after work or in the mid-afternoon slump or snacking in the evening. There seems to be a specific time or circumstance when all their efforts crumble or they have to fight and resist, which is never fun over long term. Sure, when you first do something like give up sugar you do have to resist and be uncomfortable for a little while until your body responds and adapts, but it should not be an ongoing forever fight, right? You eventually get very comfortable with it and you don't miss it and you don't want it. Yet there seems to be times that it is an ongoing forever struggle against a specific snack time. I believe this is the sign that you're simply dealing with habit. We have things we do every day, day in, day out, that gets relegated to that lower brain function. It's like your instinctive animal brain stores all your little repetitive tasks so that you don't have to think about them. It's a good thing. We don't have to think about the exact mechanics of getting a drink of water when we're thirsty. Performing simple tasks like brushing your teeth becomes relegated to the lower brain, so the brain can be far more efficient. That way, while brushing your teeth, you can have the luxury of reliving that amazing conversation you had with someone special earlier that day. And if you tried to go to bed without brushing your teeth, it would feel really uncomfortable. Have you ever done that? Like you got all the way into bed and you went, oh God, I didn't brush my teeth. You don't even think about remembering to do it most of the time because it is so habituated. When you walk into the bathroom, take your evening vitamin, perhaps wash your face, you automatically get out the toothbrush. You don't even have to pause and think about it. 
our brain loves this efficiency. It can happen on an even deeper level. I remember when I was doing um, Les Mills body combat classes at the gym regularly. I did fitness classes every evening. It's one of the things I loved to do. But the one I looked forward to the most was body combat. And I did that class three days each week. It used to be, I think, Monday night, Thursday night, and Saturday morning at the gym. And I would hit body combat. When a new release of the class came out, we would focus on learning the choreography for that specific release. And we would do it over and over and over for a few weeks. Then the instructor would start mixing it up again. And we would be doing tracks from various classes all mixed in. So it was like something different each day. The music and the choreography of those classes became so ingrained, I didn't even have to try to remember the next move ahead of time. My body knew, and as soon as the next song came on, my body would just go right into action. It knew the sequence. It became so habituated that if I were driving and a song came on the radio that was one of the combat class tracks... My muscles ached for me to get out of the car and start moving through the punches and the sidekicks. And, you know, I would even sheepishly be throwing little baby punches behind my steering wheel at the red lights. I couldn't help myself. My body was programmed. My lower brain was programmed. I used to joke that I could burn 100 calories just listening to a soundtrack from the combat class because my muscles would tense a little in response. This can happen with eating as well. If for years you've had a habit of sitting down after getting home from work and snacking through the evening or grabbing a snack at work at three in the afternoon as a pick-me-up and an excuse to just take a break from the stress, then this behavior has no doubt been relegated to your lower brain. You don't even have to think about it. It's amazing how you never even have to look at the clock. You know before you even check your watch that it's 3 p.m. because you're already feeling that urge for a snack bar. For years, I would relax after dinner by watching some TV. And at some point along the way, that started to include my after-dinner cup of coffee and maybe a snack. And then it began to be snacking most of the evening in front of the TV. I couldn't figure out why it was so hard to try and not eat after dinner. And most of the time I would fail, winding up with a little snack. Or I would have to just go upstairs and go to bed at 7 p.m. to avoid snacking. It was so habituated that if I had an evening out with friends and maybe I didn't get home until 11 p.m., I would still turn on the TV and have a little snack before I could go to bed. Even when I was, years ago, when I used to do Weight Watchers or crazy diets, even when I was losing weight doing Weight Watchers, I would hoard points throughout the day because I knew I was going to need snacks later that evening. It's one of the reasons that Weight Watchers isn't great. You start playing mind games with it. So how did I kick this? It began with the realization that this was not an urge coming from my stomach and was not even trying to escape an emotion. 
I knew this for sure as I began exploring and learning a ton about emotional eating and learning to coach. At first, I was like, what the heck? I'm sure I'm not eating down an emotion. But the urge to snack the craving was ridiculously strong. It was when I began to realize that it was pure habit that had been drilled into my brain, like brushing my teeth, that I finally understood what was going on with me. And I knew clearly it was going to be uncomfortable for me to break that habit. Habits always are a little uncomfortable to break. It's okay. It's really fine to be uncomfortable. It's not uncomfortable forever. Even quitting smoking was not uncomfortable forever. If you recognize an eating pattern as lower brain programming, habit, then you know what you're dealing with and you can face breaking it. You can interrupt it. You can white knuckle it, stay firm and don't try to wean yourself. That's like cutting down on smoking. It's ridiculously difficult because you're in a constant state of withdrawal when you try to reduce something like that. You never get over the discomfort of it. If you just make the decision to stop, it's uncomfortable for a few evenings and then it's done forever. But just like smoking, one just this time will start up the programming again. I experienced that with smoking about 25 years ago. I was going to have just one, maybe a couple cigarettes a day. I had not smoked for seven years. For seven years, I'd quit. And that first cigarette I lit up was a pack a day again within, are you ready for this? 24 hours. Yeah. A day later, I was right back to where I left off. That program was in the recycle bin, just waiting to be placed back on the desktop of my lower animal brain. And there it was. So ask yourself, do I overeat out of habit? Do I clean my plate out of habit? Do I snack at certain time each day out of habit? Then decide to just simply break the habit. You can reprogram your lower brain. It's not hard once you know what you're dealing with. Okay? And now, if you haven't already listened to my segment on focus, willpower, and desire on Brooke's podcast, stay tuned for this replay and enjoy. Hi, this is Joanne Philomena from joannethelifecoach.com. I am so honored to be included on Brooke Castillo's podcast. I've had many mentors in my life, but studying coaching directly with Brooke has been my greatest influence. She's a brilliant teacher, so if you have a calling to serve others as a life coach, there is no better out there. That's an unbiased opinion, I promise. Well, maybe a little biased. <laughs> what does focus Willpower and desire have in common. We do not have unlimited amounts of any of these. 
focus. Focus is a function of our prefrontal cortex. You've probably listened to Brooke talk about higher brain in the front of our head, the part that makes us human. The prefrontal cortex is where we can plan and make decisions, differentiate between good and bad, better and best. This is the part of our brain that can predict outcomes and set future goals. It's basically the keyboard of our computer. It can create the input for the rest of our brain functions. Focus, willpower, and desire are all part of the prefrontal cortex's functions. These are not unlimited resources. As you focus intently on something, all other things start to tune out. If you're engrossed in a movie, it makes it easier for someone to sneak up on you from behind and scare you. This is because almost all of your focus was directed at that movie. You, if you had unlimited amounts of focus, you could focus on a task forever without any distraction ever. But focus is not unlimited. Have you ever focused on something for so long and so intensely that you finally had to just go lie down? <laughs> Working throughout my afternoon on my computer, I find I have to break away and get coffee, take a walk, look out the window. The more of your focus you direct on one thing, the less focus is left for anything else. Asserting willpower takes up some of our focus. Brooke has always said willpower, the only time you need to use willpower is when you're doing something you don't really want to do. And willpower is not unlimited. You only have just so much willpower to apply at any given time. When you are dieting, it takes, it's taking your willpower and a lot of your focus is being placed there to ensure the willpower doesn't waver. You're also focusing on what you're going to eat that day. How many calories and points is it? How will you get through your coffee break at work when there's sure to be a pile of donuts sitting in a box in the break room? Are you seeing the immediate consequences of using a portion of your focus to stay on a traditional diet program? What happens to the amount of focus you would normally expend on your task at work or on your kids at home, even just on reading a book? When you pull focus into that one area of dieting, you're losing out on the rest of what's going on in your life. It's not like you put focus into the diet for a few minutes and then you can pull it back and focus on your job. If you're engaging willpower, it takes constant focus. If you didn't have any focus at all directed to your willpower, you might just get up from your desk and hit the break room for that donut right now. What, you don't want to eat the donut? Well, better keep some focus on your willpower. Do you begin to see what happens? Especially, willpower is finite. You can only maintain that white-knuckled grip on your diet for just so long before your prefrontal cortex eventually has to let go. It might be in 12 weeks. It might be in six weeks. It might be in six days. It might be in six hours. Eventually, something else is going to come up in your life that needs some immediate focus, and the focus on your willpower applied to your diet is going to have to go. 
Say your child becomes chronically ill, your husband loses his job. Maybe you're surprised with a birthday cruise without having a chance to plan for it. Maybe there's some sudden huge project at work dumped in your lap. It can be anything of any importance or size that starts clamoring for your prefrontal cortex to focus in some executive function. You find yourself wondering what the heck happened to your motivation. You just cannot seem to get yourself back on track no matter how hard you try. You blame yourself endlessly for backsliding and regaining weight. This is why dieting is difficult to sustain. Throw in the fact that your body may rebel because your brain fights for survival against a lack of food. Well, what are your chances for succeeding with a traditional diet plan? I'll tell you, less than 5%. Some studies say less than 1%. And we blame ourselves. But the truth is, it's the diet that doesn't work. You're fine. Your brain and body are functioning as designed to provide you with the best chances of survival. It's the number one function of your brain and your body to protect you. And they perform amazingly well. This is why you need to be in touch with them understand them and listen to them. This is how you're going to find your way back to your best body, right? This is how you're going to get your healthiest and most preserved alive body. Now let's bring desire in the final leg of this triad. We have programmed in the desire response, but we've not been consciously aware of exactly where we've been programming in desire. So we have heaps of desire programmed in for a snack in the evening and only a tad of desire programmed in for wearing that cute dress in the back of your closet that doesn't zip up anymore. You see, just like focus and willpower, desire is not an unlimited resource. You only have just so much desire. If you pile desire onto something, it starts to be pulled away from other places in your life. Maybe you really do desire to wear that cute dress. You desire your loving husband. You desire your child's happiness. You also desire to eat pizza and ice cream. And suddenly that bucket of desire is being poured all over the image in your head of the pizza and ice cream. Little desire is left in that bucket for the dress, for your husband, for your child. Is there any wonder that you went ahead and pigged out that evening at the pizza parlor? Felt wonderful to do that. All that desire was dumped out and then rewarded, right? No desire left for your husband. No desire to bother you about your child's happiness. You would never consciously spend more desire on pizza than you would on your child's happiness. I totally get that. The same for desiring that handsome man or woman that you married. So it becomes obvious that it's critical for us to get a handle on just where our desire is being directed or misdirected. Brooke Castillo reminds us that the brain unobserved is like a child running with a knife. And so it is even with your bucket of desire. Sit down right now and draw two large circles on a piece of paper. These are going to become your pie charts for desire. The first chart is how much of that circle is going to what you have in your life right now. When I did this exercise at advanced training, I didn't even have to think hard. I knew darn well I had a large portion of that pie going towards eating satisfaction. Think of your desire in the three categories of unanswered neglected desire, 
things that you've yearned for but have just not put any focus of desire into, or the things that you feel like, I can't have it. There's quick fix escape desire, food, alcohol, Facebook time, shopping. This is that I just want it desire. Last is the genuinely answered desire, things you already have. Maybe it's your car, your house, your husband. In the first pie chart, how has your desire been divided up? It's kind of an eye-opener if you do this honestly. Now for that second pie chart. Where do you want to spend your desire? How much desire would you put, put towards weight loss? Which is probably an unanswered, neglected desire in your life. As opposed to how much desire you're going to put out there for dessert, the quick fix desire. How about all the rest of your life around you? The desire for your mate, your job, or your business success, your desire for self-evolution. Look at that new chart. Where would you consciously want to place your capacity for desire? After doing this exercise for the first time myself, I had questions. When a desire is fulfilled, is there now excess desire hanging out there that I need to redirect before it defaults to my lower brain and goes to donuts or to alcohol or to shopping? I also wondered, can I flip the switch on desire? The next time I have a huge craving for chocolate chip cookies, is there a switch to flip all that desire right back over to the cute dress in my closet? In advanced training, they said desire feels good. But I immediately thought to myself, no, to me it feels wild and out of control. But guess what? After working with that exercise and paying attention to desire consciously, it begins to feel less wild. It was wild and out of control because I was being wild and out of control with my desire. I was not even aware that I could consciously choose where my desire goes, but I can. The last few evenings, when the urge has come up for a snack at 8.30 or 9 in the evening, I've noticed it without reacting to it. I thought, oh, there's that misdirected desire. But I also want to desire that really nice moss green silk tank and skirt I used to love wearing. Bam. Drop the mic, lady. If there were a row of switches on a switch plate labeled snack, three of them just flipped to off. And several of the switches over on the switch plate labeled I want to wear the green silk outfit switched on. I was stunned at how immediate it was. This is revolutionary, I tell you. Yeah, I had to sit there and continue to experience the flow of desire, and I needed to flip those switches back a few times, but I did it, and the second night was easier. Reprogramming your flow of desire in your desire apps that you've programmed into your lower brain seemed far easier than I ever dreamed it could be. Becoming aware of the amount of desire you're directing consciously and how much is still being directed by that child running with a knife. Become aware of that. If you want to start integrating more steps into overcoming overeating, you can take advantage of my free starter's guide to overcoming overeating. It's just five simple steps that just may change the way you eat forever, and it's free. 
Don't just download it, do it. Taking those simple actions will begin to show you immediate results. No willpower needed. Just go to joannethelifecoach.com slash free guide. Again, I am J-O-A-N-N with no E, thelifecoach.com. Add slash free guide to get that starter's guide to overcoming overeating. Thank you again to Brooke Castillo for the honor of being able to provide a segment on her podcast. I hope to talk to you all again soon. 